Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Hey, if this is your home church, uh, you know we have been in a series for the last couple of weeks uh, entitled All Hail. We're talking all things worship, hence the reason we are switching things up. Uh, And specifically, we have been talking about the significance of what takes place when we as individuals or a group of people begin to lift up our voices and sing to our God. And uh, if you're new today, if it's your first time at the church, so good to have you. Uh, If you feel like you're missing out a little bit of the content today, I invite you to go back to our YouTube channel or to our podcast. You are welcome to check out all of the previous sermons there. Uh, But allow me to give you a little bit of context so that we're all kind of starting from the same foundation today. A couple of weeks ago, as we started into this series, uh, we started by discovering the purpose of worship, the intent of worship. And our thesis for the day was that the primary reason for worship is to draw near to God. Uh, The desire of every person who has accepted Jesus as Lord in their life is to be near to him. And the vehicle whereby we draw near to God is worship. And scripture gave us a a bit of a prescriptive method to enter into his presence. Uh, We started in Psalm 100 and we ended in Hebrews 4. And we discovered that we enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise, and then we come to his throne by grace. Uh, And then in week two, we went from talking about purpose to the power of worship. Last week, we discussed that the presence of Jesus offers freedom to all of us. There is freedom found when we worship. And uh, our thesis uh, for the day was just that, that when we lift up our voices and we sing unto our King, that we have the ability to initiate what we called a chain reaction. Acts chapter 16, and we looked at the story of Paul and Silas in a prison cell. Our three chain reactions were that my worship has the power to set me free. My worship has the power to set other prisoners free. And lastly, we discussed that my worship has the power even to set those who imprisoned me free. And it was a powerful morning in the presence of God. If you were here, there was a lot of freedom in the house. Uh, So we've talked now purpose and we've talked power. Today will be, yes, another P word in our teaching uh, because this series is brought to you by Sesame Street, the, the letter P. Uh, but before I get into today's P, I want to tell you about another P that's coming. And let me, let me seed this into the environment real quick. I need like your crazy applause when I tell you this, okay? Because they were really not excited about it tonight, and I need you to be excited, okay? Because we worked really hard for this. Uh, first and foremost, this upcoming Tuesday is a P word that we do every first Tuesday of the month. We have pursuit this week. All right, yeah, yeah, there we go. We have our Pursuit gathering this upcoming Tuesday, and if you've never been to Pursuit before, uh, it is a perfect place to hang out as we're discussing all that we've been discussing for the last couple of weeks. We spend an hour from seven to eight o'clock hanging out in the presence of Jesus, just swimming in the presence. There's no agenda. Uh, We don't have like boxes we need to check. There's no sermon. I know, it's depressing. Uh, But... uh, It's literally just come together, have communion, pray and worship. And it's such a powerful time as a community. I say this every time we do it, but I think it's the oil that keeps the engine running at the Father's house. But we just invest an hour to hang out in the presence of God. Um, However, I know that not everybody has the opportunity to come on a Tuesday night. Some of you got jobs and you work in the evenings or uh, kids sports or maybe you just don't wanna come no matter how hard I try to get you to come, which is fine. Uh, So we are doing something we've never done before. We are going to bring Tuesday to Sunday morning and we are going to be having Pursuit Sunday next weekend. That's what I was looking for. So, uh, It's Palm Sunday next week, and Palm Sunday really is all about worship, isn't it? Jesus coming into the holy city of Jerusalem and people worshiping him as as he came. And uh, we have an opportunity to bring that to our Palm Sunday in the midst of the series that we are in. 
Uh, and yes, we'll do a couple of exhortations, but the vast majority of our time is gonna be spent next weekend just worshiping God together, hanging out in his presence, and uh, putting into practice everything that we have discussed for the last couple of weeks. That sound like a good time for you? It sounds like a great time to me. So in order to do that well, we need to talk about a third P today. So we've talked now the purpose, we've talked the power. Today I wanna talk about the potential of worship, the potential of worship. And uh, let me offer you a thesis as I have every single week in this series. Here's what I wanna unpack today. Worship has the potential to establish heaven on earth. Will you say that with me? Worship has the potential to establish heaven on earth. Or if you prefer the words from the 1987 song of the Go-Go's, they say in heaven, love comes first. Ooh, heaven is a place on earth. Yeah, okay. Some of you weren't alive back then. That's cool. It's a great song. She was preaching back in 1987. Uh, we're going to talk about heaven invading earth today. And to do that, we're going to look at two very simple scriptures, one of which is going to be very familiar to some of you in the room if you've got any religious background, especially if you come from a Catholic background. I feel like I've been meeting a lot of folks that came from a Catholic background in our church. I just want to say you're welcome here. Thanks for coming. I met a guy at the first service last week, and he said, I go to Mass first, and then I come to the Father's house. And I'm like, you must feel very conflicted, sir. That is going to be two completely different experiences. But... If you are a Catholic, ex-Catholic, you're gonna know one of these scriptures today. So we'll start in Psalm 22, verses one through three. It reads like this. These are the words of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you don't hear. And in the night season, I'm not silent, but you are holy and you inhabit the praises of your people. You are holy and you inhabit the praises of your people. Now, for the familiar one that many of you would know, feel free to read along if you'd like. Matthew 6, 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, good. Using those two scriptures for the next couple of moments, uh, here's what I'd like to do. I want to prove this thought that worship has the potential to establish heaven on earth. Uh, if you're taking notes today and uh, you're a sermon title person, which you know I am, I want to call this chat this morning an irresistible environment, an irresistible environment. Uh, let's pray and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. And we thank you that you are here to meet with us, to speak with us, most importantly, to transform us before we leave this place. We thank you for your presence. God, we thank you that every time we lift up our voices in this space, that you draw near to us as we draw near to you. And we ask over the next couple of moments as we unpack these scriptures that you would speak clearly to every heart in this room and that we would experience the reality of this thesis statement, that heaven would invade this space. Come now, even Holy Spirit, come now into this space and begin to transform our minds and our hearts before we leave. We pray this in Jesus' name and everybody said amen, amen. Um, I believe that uh, my wife and I uh, are what I'd like to call ESPs, ESPs. And uh, I don't mean that in the way like a psychic. You know, we talked about a psychic last week. Uh, but, but I believe that we are environmentally sensitive people. And I, know, I don't mean that like the EPA. Um, we do our part. We recycle. We compost. We just recently spent an ungodly amount of money on something that turns our compost into dirt. We put it in our flower bed the next day overnight. I don't know why we own this thing, but we do. It's there. Uh, you know, we, we do our best to take public transit when we can and to heal the world and make it a better place for you, for me the whole human race. We do that. We really do. But I'm not like crazy about it because some people are crazy about it. Like we're not dogmatic about saving the planet. I still drive a gas powered car. 
I still believe in, you know, weed killer and ant poison and those sorts of things because they work. My wife doesn't. She believes that vinegar works on everything. I don't quite know where she got that idea, but it's like, oh, just spray some vinegar on it and everything will go away. It'll be great. Sin, vinegar. It'll be awesome. You know, so, okay. <laughs> she sprayed my kids constantly. I don't understand it, but no. Uh, but when I say we are environmentally sensitive people, what I mean is that we are very sensitive to how different environments feel. I believe that every environment communicates something. Every vi- environment you walk into communicates something to you. And our goal, if we are in charge of an environment, is to ensure that it communicates two things to everybody who walks in. We want everyone to feel we were expecting you. And secondly, you can make yourself comfortable here. Everyone likes walking into environments like that. We were expecting you and you can make yourself comfortable here. That's why, uh, whether it's the house we live in or the church we pastor or the event space we rent, for me, the car that I drive, she doesn't care as much about that one. I want you to feel as you step into our spaces, hey, we were expecting you and you can make yourself comfortable here. If you were to come to our house this week for dinner, I believe that you would experience those two things. You'd walk in and there'd be some bossa nova playing in the background or some lo-fi and there'd be a candle lit. There'd be some food already hot waiting on the table. The table would be set. It's food that you can eat because Robin has called you earlier in the week to make sure that she's accounted for your food allergies and it's something that you can take. And then we'd sit down and we'd eat a meal. You'd get the best seat at the table where you can have a better view out of our front window. And like, wow, this is, I feel good in this space. And then after dinner, we would retire to another space that's been prepared for you in our living room. Chances are she has moved the furniture around three or four times that week in the living room to make sure that it is most conducive to our social setting for the evening. And if you have to use the restroom, we'll have a diffuser going in there to hide any offensive odors. And (laughs) hopefully uh, the, the, the mirror has been cleaned up from all my kids' toothpaste. And we want you to walk in and feel like they expected me. They, they prepared a place for me. I, I can be comfortable here. Same thing here at the church. When you walk in, hopefully you experience that. There's a lot of little things we do to make sure that it communicates those two things. You may not know this, but there's a, there's a little black thing right over here. And that little machine is pumping a scent into this room right now. You're like, I knew it. It's a cult. That's what they're doing. No. <laughs> it's the white tea smell from the Westin because <laughs> that's the best amen I got all day. Hallelujah. Oh, I felt that. Thank you, Jesus. Because this place doesn't smell great in the morning when we come in at seven o'clock. And we don't want you to be accosted by the scent of Masonic men. We want you to walk into this place and go, oh, I can worship in here. They were expecting me and I can be comfortable. Hallelujah. Yeah, that's what we want. Because we've all walked into environments before where they were not expecting us, right? And we could not make ourselves comfortable. We all know what that feels like. And it's not an enjoyable experience. I remember years ago, uh, when, after we had our first daughter and my wife was pregnant with our second daughter, I used the phrase excessively pregnant in the first service, which was apparently very offensive. Not to my wife, but to another pregnant person sitting in the room. And I'm like, hey, that's my bad. So we're just going to say she was very pregnant, large, okay, rotund in that particular space. And uh, we were living in Vacaville at the time, and it gets very hot in Vacaville, like 185 degrees or something during the summer. And some people had invited us over to their house for dinner. And uh, we showed up to their house and we knocked on the door. And as they opened the door, it was apparent that they had forgotten they invited us over for dinner. Uh, They're like, hey guys. And I'm like, oh, this is not gonna go well. We walk in and it was clear that they were not expecting us, that we could not make ourselves comfortable in their home. There was stuff everywhere, laundry and stuff. 
And so they were trying to, like, I see the wheels turn, like, how do we make this work? And they're like, hey, we're going to actually hang out in the backyard. And I'm like, yeah, great place, 135 degrees with a really pregnant woman. That's a great place to hang out, sure. So, so we go to the backyard, and we sit in these, like, kind of broken, janky, like, chairs around a table. And it's dinner time. And my wife is very pregnant and very hungry. And I can see her mood beginning to change as we sit down at this table. I'm like, oh, this is not going to go well. This is not going to go well. And I'm like, hey, what's, what's for dinner? Yeah, dinner. Of course, that's what you're here for. Wife goes to the kitchen and rummages through the fridge, comes back outside, and she plops a chunk of Philadelphia cream cheese down on the table, pours some paste picante salsa over the top, rips open a bag of Tostitos bowls, and she's like, here you go. And we're like, thank you so much. So it's like melting as we're eating it because it's so hot outside. Robin's just <laughs> going for it. Finally, it's clear that there is no dinner available for us. And so Robin's, you know, sending me these text messages like, we need to leave now. So we finally make up an excuse. Oh, we got to get our kid to bed. And we jet. And I don't know. We probably went to Jack in the Box or somewhere because she was having those. It wasn't Jack in the Box. Was it Jack in the Box? I don't know. It's getting worse and worse. Okay, I'll stop now. Anyway, we went and ate real food somewhere else. <laughs> I love you so much. Stay focused. Okay. Now, that was an environment where they were not expecting us and we were not comfortable, clearly. And I probably don't have to tell you that when we were invited back, we did not go because nobody likes to go to a place where they were not expected and they cannot make themselves comfortable. Well, what if I were to tell you this morning that God is also very environmentally sensitive? What if I were to tell you that, that God likes to stay away from certain environments? There are places where he doesn't enjoy being and he doesn't show up to hang out, but there's also other environments that are in fact irresistible to him. And what if I were to tell you that worship, just as we did a moment ago, is actually how we create an environment that is absolutely irresistible to God. A place where he can feel like you were expecting me and I can make myself comfortable here. I believe that that is proven in the text that we're gonna look at today. So Psalm 22, come back there for a moment. The, the Psalm starts out with David doing what he does often in the Psalms, just complaining to God about his current situation. He, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You're so far from helping me. The words of my groaning, don't you hear me? I'm crying in the daytime. You're not paying attention. Things are not good. Anyone ever had a prayer session like that before? Come on, you can be honest in church today. Hey, let me just tell you, those are the best kinds of prayer sessions. God is not looking for your pretty little polished prayer where you come with King James and like, oh Lord, thou hast our God, hallelujah. He's not looking for that. He wants them ratchet sideways, yelling at the ceiling, angry, like, I don't know what's happening. Because that's honest. God is more concerned with an honest heart than he is with a polished prayer. So you can come to God and, and be a little bit bipolar sometimes. He's cool with that, all right? And David's doing that here in the text. He's, he's yelling at God. But then in the middle of his prayer, in the middle of this song, you begin to see his perspective shift. Something happens where he has a revelation and he remembers that, that, that what he's crying out about is, is in fact much smaller than the God he's crying out to. He, he says this, he says, but, okay, yes, all of that's true, but you are holy and you inhabit the praise of your people. But you, yes, I know that what I'm facing is difficult, but but you inhabit praise. 
We, we know what that word praise means, right? We, we discussed it a couple of weeks ago. It's the word in the Hebrew, tehila, not tequila. Don't get it twisted. Tehila. And, and it means a song that is demanded as we recount the attributes and the character of God. For David in this text, I don't know what he was facing at this particular moment, but you can pick your problem and Tehillah still works. He's facing sickness and he's like, God, I don't understand. I've asked you to heal me and you haven't healed me yet and I'm still walking through this, but I remember you are still a healer. Regardless of what I'm experiencing right now, I will give you praise because your character demands it. I might be lacking right now, but you are the provider. I might be broken right now, but you are the restorer. You are the repairer. Your character, your nature, your attributes demand that I still give you praise regardless of what I'm facing right now. So, so, so we know what praise means, but what does this word inhabit mean? Well, in the Hebrew, it is the word yeshab, and it means to dwell remain, sit down, abide, or to have one's abode. I love that word, abode. I'd like to come to my abode this evening. Yes, to dwell, to remain, to sit down, to abide. In English, that word would translate, make yourself at home. Come on, kick back, relax, enjoy yourself. Mi casa es su casa. Make yourself at home. What David is suggesting here in this text is that when we worship, when we lift our voices, when we sing, when we praise, we are literally opening up a door to the heavenlies and we're saying, God, right here, right now, you can make your home. You can make yourself at home. I was expecting you and you can get comfortable right here in this space. In fact, not only that he can, he will every single time. It is an irresistible environment to God. When we lift our, vo our voices and we begin to sing, God cannot help. He is attracted to, he is drawn to our praise in such a way that he will show up, invade our space and make our space his home. He's like, he's Kramer like that. He just comes bursting through the doors. Hey buddy, got some cereal? Like, let's hang out. Like, this is what happens when we worship. God shows up every single time. C consider the privilege of that for just a moment. I mean, like, Selah, let that rest for just a moment. You never have to worry if God will show up. It's never a question if God will show up. The second you lift up your voice and you sing, it is a gateway, a doorway to the divine, and God cannot help but show up. Man, what a privilege we have been given. Furthermore, this irresistible invitation is irrespective of location. In other words, God is not restricted or limited to spaces that within our human confines are constructed, we believe he is worthy to hang out in. Spaces that we deem holy. First King tells us that, Kings tells us that, that God does not dwell in temples that are made by human hands. Translation, he's not restricted to spaces like churches and temples and places that we're like, oh yeah, that makes sense for God to be there. No, praise is his home. Not the physical location, the praise that we offer up is his home, which means that God will show up in any space where a believer is willing to lift up their voice and offer him praise. Come on, God will show up in a hospital room if you'll give him praise right there. God will show up in your broken home if you will give him praise right there. God will show up on the great highway with a few hundred believers in the middle of a pandemic if we are willing to just show up and to give him some praise in that space. 
Pick your space. He'll walk through the avenues. He'll go to the streets of the Tenderloin. He'll walk through the hallways of your office. He'll meet you in your car. There is no space that God is restricted to staying. He'll come anywhere if we will lift up our voices and we will praise him. He'll show up anywhere. And if that seems far-fetched or too good to be true, uh, look no further than the room you are sitting in right now to prove that point. If his presence was restricted simply to places that were erected for holy purposes, then we would not meet with him every single Sunday in this room. That's not what this building was built for. Let me tell you, this place feels a little bit different when you're not in here. When the lights are off in this room and I have to find something on a Thursday evening and you're not in here singing holy, holy, it's a weird space to hang out. I remember when we were first... uh, uh, touring locations to, to meet as a church. And uh, we walked into this space and uh, the guy, Pat, who was showing me around, he, he was showing me all the different spaces we could meet. And he was really excited to show me the auditorium, not just to show me how cool the space was, but uh, there was a, a scene that they were using for a Masonic production. It's back behind these curtains and it's up there in the rafters somewhere. They wheel it down with a rope. But he said, hey, if you ever want to use this for one of your sermon illustrations, we're using it tonight. And you guys are, you're welcome to use it. And I'm like, oh, cool. So I walk in not knowing what to expect. And literally, this is, this is what the stage looked like when I first walked in here. That's actually hell, okay? Like, I don't know which demon this is, but it's one of them right there, okay? Got a pitchfork and everything. And I'm like, oh, cool. Trying to figure out where to do church. And hell is literally on the stage right now. Like, okay, you can take that off. Someone just got freaked out and I love it. Welcome. So two voices were in my head when I saw that. Voice number one was the voice of the religious minority saying, how could you even think of doing church in a place like this? What self-respecting religious person would be willing to come and worship God in such a demonic space? Hell is literally on the stage. (laughs) And then the second voice was the voice of Jesus. And he said, is that who you're trying to reach? The self-respected, respecting religious person, is that, is that, is that who you're after? Because let me tell you who I'd be chasing if I was planting a church in San Francisco. I would not be chasing the self-religious. I, I would be chasing the broken and the downcast and those who are living in darkness, those who are down the alleyways and the drug infested and, oh, oh, you're worried about hell? Guess what? I've actually already been there, been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, robbed the keys, came back to life. So go ahead and sign the contract because I will show up in any space, including this one, if you're willing to turn it into a church on a Sunday morning. Yeah, Jesus is not scared by darkness, friends. Everywhere he shows up, light happens. He's not worried. Let me remind you who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who will walk into the graveyard with a demoniac. He's the one who'll get down into the dirt with a prostitute. He's the one who will grace the doorway of a disreputable tax collector if he has to. As long as someone is there interested in him, he will show up and meet you there. That's it. That's the Jesus we serve. And to exhaust the point even further, I was considering whether or not I'd share this. I did it at nine o'clock and it was okay. So I will share again. They were the crash test dummies. Don't tell them that. 
So this week, right after I wrote this part of the sermon, I came into this building to collect something that um, I needed for the weekend. And uh, when I showed up, they were renting the space out to uh, another group that was in here Thursday and Friday. And uh, I don't want to alarm anybody, but uh, it was probably the most demonic thing I've ever walked into in this building. Uh, There was a black carpet up on the front uh, of porch and all of the windows had been blacked out. And I walked into the front lobby and lots of smoke and lights and stuff. And then as we came down these hallways, there was, uh, there's uh, candles lining either side of the hallway with kind of this weird music playing. And I walk into the auditorium here and uh, right there at the center of our stage was uh, a pentagon with some really weird imagery on it. And then these wave walls that were all pointing up towards this pentagon and some violin player over here with a keyboard and everyone who was sitting in the room had a black cape on and a black hood. A lot of people were wearing like veils, black veils with chains over their faces. Uh, There was literally a a magic table in our atrium where we do baptisms. It was a little weird for me to be in here on on Friday. And and as I walked through the space, I'm like, man, it's gonna be hard to worship on Sunday in that room. And yet as I was in this space, I felt the voice of God simply say, just watch. Watch me prove what we're going to be talking about this weekend. Yeah, I'll still show up in that space if there's some believers who will lift up their voice and they will worship me. Come on. He is not scared of any demonic power, of any dark space. They will flee when we lift up the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father. Hey, he's king. He is king. Also, we need to buy this place so that doesn't happen anymore in Jesus' name. So here's what we're gonna do. I wanna prove that this point is, in fact, more than concept. It is a reality for us. And we're gonna take a brief intermission here in the middle of the sermon. And we're gonna offer up some praise in this space. And we're gonna believe the reality of Psalm 22, that God is going to inhabit our praise and he's gonna make our home. Are you guys up for that? Will you stand to your feet? And we're gonna sing a very familiar song, just a a bridge and a chorus of this. Uh, I was excited because it was one of the first songs I ever heard Jonas sing, and it feels providential that he's leading us again this morning. But uh, we're going to sing, How Great Is Our God. He is the name above all names. And as we do that, why don't we lift our hands before we, before we uh, even jump into worship. And let's just invite the Holy Spirit right now. Let's offer praise from our own lips. Holy Spirit, we welcome you right now. Jesus, we thank you. You are the King. You are the Lord of all lords. You are the King of all kings. You are the God of heaven and earth. You created all of this. And right now with our own lips, we give you praise. We give you honor and we welcome you into this space. Thank you for the promise of Psalm 22, that you will inhabit the praise of your people. Thank you for what it says in James, that you, if we draw near to you, that you will draw near to us. And right now into this space that was used for dark purposes just a couple of days ago, we invite the living God right now into this room in a fresh and powerful way. Come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. Come on, let's worship a bit. Sing you the name. You're the name above all names. You are worthy of all praise. And my heart will sing how great is our God. You're the name above all names. You're the name. Oh uh-huh. 
sing that sing that chorus one more time. Great Come on, just your voices. it still works. Amen. <laughs> All right. Intermission over. We're going to get into the second half of this. We'll be done by about 3 p.m. Don't worry. It's going to be great. We'll order pizzas in for everybody. So it's obvious we've established that praise is an irresistible environment for God. He, he will inhabit our praise, but we haven't quite unpacked our thesis yet, which is that worship has the potential to establish heaven on earth. For that, we need to go just a little bit deeper, actually quite a bit deeper. Are, are you guys up for a swim in the deep end of the pool for a couple of moments? Okay. So put on your water wings. All right. In the spirit, it's, uh, it's going to be a little different. So if you were to ask the average Christian where they are going to spend eternity when they die, they would probably rightfully answer heaven. And ho hopefully that is your answer today. If not, we'll sort that out later. Uh, however, if you were to follow up that question with, okay, yeah, yeah, heaven. Um, now, remind me again, where is heaven located? Uh, I would assume that the vast majority of Christians would probably do one of these. I, I think it's up there somewhere, like, not quite sure, by the Milky Way or something. I think it's, I think it's up there. Uh, which is partially true, but, but not entirely true. Uh, fair warning, I'm going to mess with some theology a little bit this morning, okay? Um, right now, as we sit in this room, yes, the heavens are above us. The Bible does speak about heaven in vertical language, ascension language. Jesus, of course, when he left the planet to take his seat at the right hand of the Father, he ascended to heaven. So we know that as we sit in this space today, heaven is, in fact, up there. However, the idea that when we die, we ascend to heaven to spend an eternity with Christ there is actually, actually much more of a Western Christian thought than it is, in fact, a biblical truth. In fact, that's not what the Bible teaches. Let me unpack this a little bit. So it has always been the design and the desire of God to dwell on earth with humanity. Psalm 22 has always been his plan to, to make his home with his people. But we see that all the way back in the first book of the Bible in Genesis. What was it? It was God dwelling among humanity here on earth, Adam and Eve in the garden. It was unbroken fellowship with him. Bible says that they walked with each other in the cool of the day and they talked with God. There was nothing to separate them. There was no veil necessary, no distance necessary because sin had never entered the equation. However, when Adam and Eve sinned, they were evicted from the garden and there was separation between man and God. No longer could they dwell in perfection, in fellowship with one another as they once did in the garden. But if you look at Genesis 4, and then you follow it all the way to the end of Scripture in the book of Revelation, you see the design, the plan of God to restore that garden reality with humanity. The entire narrative of Scripture is about God recreating Eden here on earth for humanity. That's why Jesus came. When Jesus came to the planet, the reason one of his names is Emmanuel is because it was God dwelling with humans once again on planet earth. That has always been his design. In fact, it culminates at the conclusion of Scripture where Jesus comes back once and for all to establish a reality with humanity here on earth. Let me remind you, 
This is not it. There will be a day where the clouds split and Jesus comes back riding on a white horse. He's gonna have fire in his eyes and his robe dipped in blood and I think he's tatted on one of his thighs and he is going to establish once and for all Eden again here where humanity dwells with him in perfect fellowship forever. That's the goal. And, and scripture speaks to this in, in Revelation 21 where John writes, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no sorrow, no crying, no pain. All of these things are gone forever. That's heaven. That's eternity. God and man dwelling together once again in perfect harmony without anything being broken because of sin. That's what heaven is supposed to look like. But the great exclamation point on this thing we know as humanity is not that one day we ascend to God in the heavens and we live there. It's that heaven comes down and is reestablished as it was in the beginning here on earth for eternity. We don't go up. He comes down. Now, I know that's depressing because someone's thinking, wait a minute, are you telling me I have to hang out in San Francisco for eternity? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. You could probably bop around to all the different places in, on the earth. But if you are stuck in San Francisco, if this is where your mansion is located for eternity, fear not. There will be ample parking for your chariot. The fog will be gone in Jesus' name. No defecation. You have to step over as you make your way into your, your door. It's going to be a perfect place. Now, now, I know that concept of, wait, we don't go up. Because, that, that messes with, because like a lot of people have this idea that when we die, we become like a chubby baby angel and we get a cloud and we kind of go up to heaven and hang out with God. Maybe we should just go to brunch and chew on that reality for just a moment. Like, wait, I don't get to be a baby angel anymore. No, sorry, I hate to break it to you. But our understanding of what happens for eternity actually has a massive bearing on the way that we worship. It plays a vital role in our understanding as we begin to lift up our voices and sing to God. And here's why. If, if God's design was never that we would ascend, but that heaven would come down to earth, then we have a whole new perspective on this scripture that some of us have been quoting for decades in Matthew chapter six. It means something completely different than perhaps we thought it did. Look at again what Jesus says in, in Matthew six, verse nine. Our father who is currently in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our thesis right there. Follow the pattern of this scripture. What is he saying? Our father in heaven, hallowed, honored, Worshipped, tehillahed, praised be your name. And once the name has been sufficiently worshipped, what happens? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Worship has the potential to establish heaven on earth. 
Just as it was never God's design for us to ascend to heaven for eternity, worship is not an act of ascent. I know this might be splitting hairs, but it's important we understand this. Worship is not an opportunity for us to cerebrally, spiritually ascend into the heavens, join the angels around the throne. If, if that's all it was, it would be nothing more than an escape mechanism from reality. Worship would be nothing more than temporary reprieve from our problems or we don't have to deal with them any longer because we're just gonna hang out in the presence of God. No, just as it was God's design for heaven to come to earth for eternity, worship actually invites heaven to come from where it currently is into our current reality. Not us to escape from it, but to invite heaven into our sickness, to invite heaven into our lack, to invite heaven into our brokenness, to invite heaven into the state of things that we are facing right now, for heaven to invade our earth. And that's a big deal because a lot happens when heaven touches earth. When heaven and earth collide, whoo, buckle up, baby. Stuff happens. God's authority is established when heaven touches earth. Miracles take place when heaven touches earth. The prophetic is released when heaven touches earth. Demons flee when heaven touches earth. Darkness is displaced when heaven touches earth. It gets cray cray when heaven touches earth. But, 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 but the thing I want to conclude with today and unpack a little bit before we close and the band can sneak back up to their instruments before we worship one more time is this. When, when heaven touches earth, quite simply, heaven's realities become earth's realities. Whatever heaven offers becomes available on earth. This is not hype. This is not manipulation. This is Bible. Let me ask you this morning, what, what are the realities of heaven? What, what, what is heaven like? What's allowed and what's not allowed in heaven? Lord, <laughs> there's no sickness in heaven, is there? No. There's no lack in heaven. There's no divorce papers in heaven. Revelation 21 said there's no sadness in heaven. There's no pain in heaven. All the tears are wiped away. Sorrow is gone. There's joy in heaven. There's perfect wholeness, healing in heaven. In, in heaven, you, you, you don't have to deal with the lingering sense of shame or guilt for past decisions and failures. It's gone forever there. It's a throne of grace. In heaven, you don't have to wonder if today is the day that I do the unthinkable because I just can't bear it any longer because all of that's been released in heaven. In heaven, there's no being mastered or enslaved by addictions or sin patterns or those things that you've come to hate. No, heaven is a place of perfection. It's a place of freedom. It's a place of healing. It's a place of wholeness. It's a place of provision, a place of blessing. That's what heaven's like. But scripture tells us that we don't have to wait till one day we breathe our last here on this earth before we get to experience some of those realities. Yes, they will be our reality for eternity. If you have called upon the name of Jesus, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, signed, sealed, delivered, that is your reality for eternity. But guess what? You get a foretaste here on earth. You get an appetizer here on earth of heaven. You get to experience some of heaven's realities right here on earth. How? through worship, through praise. When we lift up our voices, whew, heaven comes 
on earth. And I believe in our last couple of moments together, that's gonna happen in this room. I did it at the nine o'clock. I believe it will here. I've been praying about this all week. I believe that the next couple of moments are gonna be significant for some folks. Not because the band's in tune and they're singing the right song or we've created an environment, none of that. Because God himself is gonna walk into this room and he's going to establish heaven in this place. And those realities are gonna displace any other reality that might try to exalt itself against him. Because it's his promise. We don't have to question it. When we lift up our voices, he will come every time. And so here's what we're gonna do. In just a moment, I'm gonna have you stand to your feet. We are going to sing this prayer. We're gonna invite heaven to come into this space. As I've said every weekend, I will repeat myself, this is not an opportunity to leave. <laughs> Please don't rush to the parking lot, rush out front and eat all the donut holes before anyone else gets out there. I'm gonna walk out there and see you chipmunking it with, you know, 50 donut holes in your cheeks, all right? No, you weren't. Here's what I know. I know that some of us in this room, we need heaven to come into our lives right now. We need heaven to invade our realities because your reality is contradicting heaven's reality. There's some sickness, there's some lack, there's some brokenness, there's some guilt, there's some shame, there's some addiction. Hey, how about we set aside just a couple of moments to allow heaven to come and to fix some stuff. You up for that? Why don't we stand to our feet? And once again, let's just lift our hands towards heaven and let's invite the Holy Spirit to speak. Come right now, Lord Jesus, we welcome you. We welcome you again into this space. Thank you for Matthew 6. You are our Father who is currently in heaven. But right now we hallow, we worship, we praise, we honor your great name. You're the King above all kings. You're the Lord above all lords. At the mention of your name, everybody must bow. And right now, as we exalt you, we pray for the reality of Matthew 6 in this room. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We give you these songs in Jesus' name. Come on, let's worship for a couple of more moments before we conclude. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.